every time people come to me and they say, I have to present data, there's no room for story, they're wrong. Because when you don't take someone through data, we all fill in the gaps on the data, have our own interpretation, and land in a different spot, especially if it's like a chart full of multiple data points. And I think so many of the listening audience have probably sat in meetings, maybe with a voice of employee survey, where the argument in the room starts to be questioning the data. Well, how many people responded? And we don't really care about this. And well, is this really meaningful? Instead of what do we do about it? And that is the power of a story is you take people to a common understanding or a common starting point that allows for different types of discussions. That was the CEO and chief storyteller of Eber Leadership Group, Karen Eber. In this episode, I was really excited to sit down with Karen and talk to her about her background and experience and ideas on all things performance, culture, and storytelling. So a lot for us to cover, and we're going to be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN. PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, powering fast-growing companies like Shopify, Rubrik, and Sneak. Automate messages across the employee journey, so you never miss an opportunity and your employees are supported every step of the way. From onboarding to becoming a new manager and more, PIN helps companies communicate at scale. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q dot com. Reinvent communications for the distributed workforce. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm really excited to be sitting down with Karen Eber. Karen is the CEO and Chief Storyteller of the Eber Leadership Group, and she's one of the top minds, I think, on the planet around all things performance. Uh, I was actually introduced to Karen uh, probably a little over a year ago when I was uh, in the early stages of writing Redefining HR. And, um, you know, my background isn't in performance in that space. And so I kind of asked my network, who are the top minds uh, in this field that I should be interviewing for the book? And uh, multiple people pointed me towards Karen. She was gracious enough to spend some time with me and, uh, and, and contribute to the book. So really excited to sit down with you now. Um, Karen, for viewers and listeners that may not be familiar with you, um, I'd love it if you just start with a brief introduction. Yep. So just like you said, Karen Eber, I have my own company, Eber Leadership Group, that is focused on helping companies reimagine and evolve their culture from their leaders, their teams, how they use storytelling, just thinking of different ways to bring out the best of people and create a place where work is interesting and, and doesn't drain people. I come from a corporate background, so I've sat on both sides of the desk. I have spent time at General Electric as a head of culture and a chief learning officer, and I was a head of leadership development and Deloitte and have spent time in HP. And so I definitely get the challenges of how do you do this in a big company and how do you help companies see what's possible? Yeah, I mean, so you've been deeply immersed in learning and performance and culture for years. Like when you think about the space today, you know, versus maybe what it looked like earlier in your career, what's different? Like what, what, what's changed? I think the biggest thing is this appreciation that we're not trying to build well-rounded employees. We're trying to find out what is unique and best about each person and how do we bring that out? How do we maximize and amplify that? And build these teams that are well-rounded. 
when I started, I think of like the terrible performance management process I had to go through and the goals and everything about it is just so dated. There's a better way to really lean into like, what do you shine the brightest in and how do we bring that forward each day? And so what is that, you know, if you were designing, and I imagine you are as you're consulting with clients, helping them kind of design um, performance programs for today, what should they look like? What is the DNA? What is the the framework of, of a great program that really helps employees bring their best, do their best, uh, have the most impact in their roles? Well, the first thing is we start with how do you align the talent, the culture, and the business strategies? Because... So often people don't reckon like they all need to be in concert with each other. And so how do you make sure that your the way you're developing your talent is reinforcing and going to achieve the business strategy, but also create the culture that you want? And so we start there of what does this look like and what are the outcomes we're trying to get to? And then it is equipping the people leaders with how do you have these conversations with your employees on an ongoing basis to check in on how things are going, but also to figure out like, where are you at your best and strengthened and how do we bring that forward? And it's not technology. It's really like, how do you have these basic conversations every two, three weeks that could be as quick as five, 10 minutes, but you are understanding what this person is doing, how they're at their best and removing the obstacles And you just get these muscles in place and you get this environment where people are engaged, they're interested, they're feeling comfortable to raise issues and you start to build trust and you're ultimately delivering a healthy culture and a business strategy. And I'd love to get your thoughts on on frequency, right? Because I think we can we can all agree if you're listening or watching this, uh, you know, you probably know that annual, specifically drilling down to performance, annual reviews are not it. Um, that's kind of how we used to do things. It's not really how we should be thinking about things now, but there is a lot of, um, you know, variance in conversations around like, what is the ideal frequency? Um, and I know I never use best practices cause I think that they're too tied to all the variables associated with that organization as to why that practice works. But like when you think about, um, the right rhythm, the right cadence, the right frequency for those you know, performance-related conversations between employees and their managers, uh, do, do, does a certain frequency kind of rise up in terms of uh, effectiveness? I'm going to answer in two parts, of frequency and then what has really surprised me. So I did a research project with Neuroleadership Institute because when I was at Deloitte almost 10 years ago, we built one of the first ratings-free performance management at a time where companies were starting to look at it and do it different. So at Neuroleadership Institute, they were interested in seeing at the time, like we were eight years in, what's different? Who's who's evolved into this ongoing approach? And it was shocking to see that probably more than half were still doing a very traditional approach of goal setting, mid-year, year-end rating. You have your four conversations and you're good. And I think that that's because your question of frequency, they're not understanding a lot of managers don't want to go into a conversation if they don't know where it's going to go. They feel ill-equipped to be able to talk to someone about their career or they're afraid that, oh my gosh, an emotion might come up. You have to equip people managers with how do you have these conversations and check-ins? How do you leverage these prompts? And how do you sit down with that employee and figure out what is the right frequency for you? 
Because for some, that might be once a week for five, 10 minutes. For some, that might be once a month for an hour. I wouldn't go too much further beyond that because the further the time goes in between conversations, the less you're able to just help remove obstacles. But I find that it's less about the frequency and more about how do you help your people leaders have these conversations and even something as simple as like start with these prompts, start with these questions can help them get there. And so many companies are holding to that traditional approach because, well, as a people manager, I had my four conversations, so I know I've done what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that uh, when you frame it that way, there's uh, there when you look at legacy HR practices, so much of the knock on them is that there's a, there's a real kind of check the box feel um, to some of the activities, similar to like, you know, you are required to have a performance discussion, you know, once a year or like a check-in once a quarter, but it's not... Uh, you know, they're, they're more doing it because it's part of their uh, performance appraisal, perhaps as a manager, that they have to do that. Not that they really want to understand, remove blockers as a leader and create environments where their employees can do their best work. I always hated that checkbox of, did you have a conversation this year? Because there was no <laughs> checkbox for, was that impactful? Was there any yeah. quality? So, yeah, I, I just think that if we go back many years in history, the role of a manager was sameness. I need you to make this widget as fast as possible over and over and over so we can meet our quota. And that's what a manager did. And they had the knowledge and information how to do it. But we're way past that industrial revolution. And we're now in a place where we really do need the individual specific strengths of each person in areas that that manager isn't going to have knowledge or expertise. So helping make the shift from I treat everyone the same to how do I really lean in and figure out these things and what I need to help people be their best is is where we need to be helping leaders and not enough place, not enough steps are being taken. Well, let's kind of dig deeper into that industrial era construct, because I think if you, you know, if you look at the nature of work prior to the pandemic, you know, there were a lot of uh, what we consider to be truths and, and constructs for how we work. There were holdovers from that era. So, you know, work was Monday through Friday and I'm generalizing roles. Obviously, there's roles that don't that does not apply to you, but, um, you know, work had to happen in office. Uh, you know, work happened nine to five, right? And I think that the pandemic has shattered a lot of those largely held legacy myths. Like work can happen anytime, anywhere. Uh, and so like, I'm like, obviously it's a revolutionary shift that we're in the middle of. And it was a shift not driven necessarily by like, oh, it's time for us to change because it's the right thing. Obviously the pandemic was a massive forcing function uh, on, on pushing us in that direction. But how does that change things in, in your mind? Like wh when we're in this environment now where I know you do a lot of work with, with clients on strengthening culture and, and, and just everything that comes with that in this new environment, which for many of us is radically different than the environment we've already worked in. Like what, are, what do you see as being some of the biggest shifts that are taking place now that we're in an environment where so many companies are, are remote, hybrid, or, or different flavors of that? Yeah, I've got I've got two visuals and really a different description. So everybody's saying the great resignation, which I, I am seeing in my circles where people are just deciding to move on. But I actually think it's the great inflection because employees have changed so much. You know, this past year has been like seven years in dog years where <laughs> our values and our non-negotiables have all changed. And the problem is companies feel like, well, I saw you every week on a web meeting and you know, I've seen you. So therefore, 
everything's the same. But if you think about like an employee or a fellow colleague you haven't seen in 10 years, you don't assume they're exactly the same. You want to know what's different and you catch up and you hear what have you been up to and you learn what's different. We don't recognize these differences have taken place. So I keep thinking of the toy that toddlers have where you like push the shaped blocks through different holes of the circle goes in the circle, square (laughs) goes in the square. I feel like right now companies are taking the square and they're trying to ram it in the circle because they think the employee is square shaped. But over the past year, employees change their shape as they realize, you know what? I don't want to do whatever anymore. I don't want to commute. I don't want to do this type of work. I don't want to sacrifice whatever time with my family. And because we've seen each other every week, we just haven't realized there are these differences and things that are different. And so this ramming of the wrong shape is happening because companies aren't making this as a chance to be the inflection point. And the second visual I think of is I keep, as I listen to companies, I keep thinking of trapeze where we've let go of one trapeze and we're midair and we haven't caught the second. And some companies are like desperately trying to turn around and grab that first trapeze and you just don't you fall to the net. We both went to the same university that had the circus. I would watch the trapeze artists fall to the ground, fall to the net. Um, And companies have two choices. You either trust that your net is there and you experiment and you try stuff and you know it's not all going to work, but we're going to learn and we're going to figure out what we can. Or you make the choice to evolve and you figure out what do we need to do different. And that is what I think needs to be happening now. Because if people aren't willing to take this as a chance to think about what were we doing in January 2020 that could be better, then when are you ever going to? So I feel like that that force fitting of the shape and the trapeze being midair are like the perfect examples for what's going on right now and the opportunity to, to think about what to do different. That's right. Yeah, we, uh, we, we were both proud uh, FSU alums. So yes. FSU Circus, uh, getting a nice shout out on the podcast today. Did you ever go and do the trapeze like they had the open circus day? Did you ever do you it? You know, I, uh, I did not do it there. I did, interestingly enough, uh, perform at a trapeze show at the Santa Monica Pier, which is another story. But yeah, so I, I, could, I could relate. I, I started my trapeze career late. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was something. I, I want to um, hear that story someday. <laughs> there, there, Did you there are videos. Did you hand it off? No, I. Uh, so yeah, you know, you swung out. Oh, I mean, now I feel like I have to tell the story. There. Uh, yeah, so sorry. you know, it was uh, Trapeze School, New York. Um, they have a couple of different franchises. They have one in the Santa Monica Pier, and so my wife and I took a class there uh, with one of our best friends, and uh, they're like, "Hey, you know, we had a blast. It was so much fun." They're like, "Hey, you know what? We." Uh, if you're interested, we actually have like a school that you can go through and you go through for a couple of weeks and train and then you put on a show at the end of it, like in front of the whole Santa Monica Pier. And we we're actually, uh, my wife and I were planning on moving. We were living in L.A. at the time. We we're going to be moving back to Virginia uh, right around the time of the show. And we we're like, what an awesome send off. Like, we'll we'll do that for like our going away bash. And so, yeah, we did it. And uh, my, my move was a backhand hawks off that I, uh, I I pulled off. I'm not as limber as the, the typical, uh, you know. Uh, gymnast there, so or aerialist, I should say. But yeah, it was fun. It was. That's uh, awesome. it was, that it is was no joke. That is really hard. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was hard. The, 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 the scariest part, I think, once you is is leaning out and like committing. You right. know, leaning out and committing and, and holding on and kind of dropping off because you're leaning out and yeah, there's a net underneath you. But when you're leaning out, you're just you know you just feel you know like you have no protection, no support. You feel very vulnerable. Uh, out there, but it was exhilarating. So, so if I can uh, use that tail part to bring it back to what we said, 
That yeah. I think that leaning out is the fear that so many companies have of like, if we lean out and we try to do something different, like how do we know it's going to work or how do we know it's going to be okay? And how do we know like for managers that, oh gosh, I can still like lead hybrid and make sure everyone still has the same environment. Like that trust and changing the question you ask yourself or changing your mindset is what we have to do because it's a visceral feeling. Yeah. Well, I think it's also part of it is, is living in the gray. You know, we're, we're used to, you know, black and white set structures and systems of work. And this is how this happens and this is how that happens and decades of experience in doing that. Uh, now we're doing things we've never done before. We're, we're, we're taking chances on things that we're making our best guesses will be the right thing to do, but we could be wrong and it might blow up and it might fail. And then we have to do something else and we have to admit that we did the wrong thing. Uh, we learn from it, and now we're going to be make more informed decisions and try to get to the right thing. And so I think that there's a, there's an inherent vulnerability in that itself, I think, for leaders, because you have to be um, comfortable not having all the answers, and you don't. You don't. Like you, you, I'm talking to you, a leader, listening to this, watching this. You don't have all the answers, and that's okay. We have to be able to make the best decisions, make the most informed decisions as we can, make sure that we're co-creating uh, ideas and, and solutions with our employees um, and do our best. And one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on is, you know, we, we've talked, um, you know, for for those managers who don't like being being vulnerable, right? They're not reaching out for the trapeze or they want to stay, you know, firmly uh, on the platform. And, you know, we had this period earlier in the summer where vaccine rollout was going pretty well. Uh, no one knew what a Delta variant was. We're making pretty firm uh, proclamations around return to workplace, now those are getting blown up. We're having to kind of recalibrate uh, how we're thinking about opening offices for those of us that were able to, to work remotely. Um, one of the arguments that you, I often heard is, um, you know, the butts and seats argument, right? Like the old school managers who would say, well, how do I know you're working if you're remote? Like if I can't see you, how do I know that you're actually uh, getting things done? Which is like, say that out loud and really analyze the words coming out about that makes no sense. If I see you, I have no idea what you're doing. That is, so it doesn't make any sense yet. That's something that, HR leaders here all the time. So how should they counter that? Help, you know, for uh, for HR leaders that are viewing right now that might have managers that are trying to push for a return to an era that no longer exists, frankly, like how should they try to influence those leaders away from that tendency to just try to pretend none of this happened and they want to go back to how things were? Yeah. The first thing is it's not their fault. It's really a weakness in the leadership development and what they've been taught because they're just trying to go back to that first trapeze because that's all they know. They don't know a different way. In their mind, it breaks. You can't do the same thing virtually. And so it's really you have to change their mindset to growth mindset. And I like to start when you have a difference. I like to start with what can we agree to? And I think everyone can agree to two things that we want to make sure happen as a result of this, that you are still able to deliver for your customers and that you keep your employees safe. And if that's the base that we agree that we need to do going forward, then there are so many ways you can achieve that that are more than just go to an office or work hybrid. And so then it becomes the question of how might we? So I understand companies want to come out with a broad proclamation of like, this is our plan at the company level. I actually think it should be decided at the team level. And I think that managers should be equipped with, here's how to have this conversation as a team of how do we do this? What have we learned? What could we do different? What does that look like? Along with a little bit of guidance on these, how these managers can approach it different. 
And that might mean that some teams are hybrid, some are in the office, some are virtual, or it might be an experiment. But the team itself is going to be in the best place to figure that out with some support. And yes, there's definitely things that you have to do to make sure it's inclusive and equitable. But I think that when you start with what are we trying to get to deliver for our customers, keep employees safe, then start asking the question, how might we do that and open up into a different conversation versus it has to be this or this. It leads to different options and it makes the team be more engaged when they get to be part of that discussion. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the show. I want to take a brief break to share a new initiative that I think you'll find helpful. Redefining HR started with this podcast and evolved into a best-selling book laying a framework for modern HR and people operations. I'm excited to share the next evolution, the Redefining HR Accelerator. The Accelerator is a full platform to build, inspire, and support the next generation of people leaders, including cohort programs, courses, open source resources, and most importantly, community. Thanks to listeners like you, Redefining HR is now brought into a entire platform focused on building readiness for tomorrow's HR today. Learn more at redefininghr.com. And now, back to the show. I've been tracking a lot of company announcements around how they're um, approaching hybrid, remote, whatever. I mean, and even we use the term hybrid as if it's like one construct. And there's so much variation in hybrid itself, right? Like that's like at least 10 or more different constructs within just the, the, the kind of umbrella of hybrid. But I think when you, when you look at organizations that are making uh, those choices, you know, LinkedIn, I think is the only one that I've seen offhand that specifically stated they're going to allow their managers to make the decision at a team level. Uh, I'm sorry, have you seen any other examples of companies that are, that are kind of doing, as you suggest, as a best practice, kind of uh, you know, letting, allowing the teams to determine what works best for them? I have in um, some smaller companies, so I know at Kate Spade, some of those conversations have gone on, and I've seen it in smaller companies where they are working through that. And they're working through exactly what you said of what does hybrid mean? Um, this idea that you know the, the most common complaint I hear is that the people that choose to be 100% virtual will be penalized in their career development growth, all of that. And it's like, just flip the, instead of if you choose home, you're penalized, you change the question to, as the manager, how do I make sure I am supporting the career growth of everyone on my team equally, giving them the time they need equally? How do I make sure I plan this in my schedule? Like, I've worked my entire career this way, either with global teams or where I was working out of a home and teams were all over. I've spent years working with teams where I've never met the people face-to-face, yet we developed trust and had great growth and career development and all of that. But it comes down to mindset and choice. And so it's having to just help these managers have these conversations. And unfortunately, when a company makes the proclamation at the company level, you then just create learned helplessness throughout the organization because people feel like, oh, wow, I would choose something different, but they said, so I'm not going to, and that's not helpful. That actually hurts your productivity. Right. Well, and I think, you know, to your point earlier around the great resignation, you know, for some, that's their driver to make a move, right? Uh, this, uh, you're not allowing me to work in the way that I want to work whether that is, you know, for some people, they want to go back to an office. So let's not assume that everybody wants to work remotely. I think that the, there's a spectrum of um, expectations and needs and desires that employees have. Um, but if you don't, you know, provide that in your organization, you know, that's going to happen. And I think there's this there's this backdrop 
to the great resignation that I think is, uh, you know, we, we probably aren't covering enough, but is fueling that, which is just burnout. People are just tired. They're just tired. Like this has been a lot. This has been so much uh, uh, that we've gone through over the last 18 months. And, you know, every employee is experiencing this differently based on their own individual circumstances. And so there's just this, this layer of um, fatigue, I think, that everybody is carrying where now it's like a decision that uh, un- under normal circumstances, you're like, oh, I don't agree with that, but I can, I can still work with that to like, okay, never mind. Like I'm, I'm out, I'm out. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deal with this anymore. So um, how do you, you know, I think one of the, is as we kind of move into this new era where more companies will be, you know, hybrid and or remote, I think one of the um, key components of being able to do that successfully is getting better at measuring output over hours, right? Because I think that, again, going back to that industrial era mindset, a lot of it was, well, if I see you in the office, you know, nine to five, nine to six, I'm assuming that you're working and I can, you know, formulate in my head the amount of hours that you're working and then I can extrapolate from those hours, like the amount of productivity that you probably have based on that, which is nonsense. But that's how I think a lot of people thought about it to now an environment where I think for us to be able to maybe win over some of those managers that are still locked into that mindset, uh, we, we have to find better ways of actually measuring output. And, you know, not even, not even so much productivity, because I think that that's a, a, a loaded word, but like, you know, output and kind of work product. And so have you seen any shifts there or any, any like great practices that, uh, that listeners and viewers might want to think about as it relates to, you know, doing better of measuring the, the output of their employees rather than the hours? Well, maybe not measure, but impact the output. Start with your meetings. Like even before all of this, every single company I worked with, every single team, when you ask them, are you having the right meetings at the right time with the right people making the right decisions? Like, no, too many meetings, too much time. Meetings are updated. Like everybody had this awful meeting tax. So a lot of what I do is I tell teams, take a hundred of whatever your currency is and give it to each employee. And over the course of whatever your meeting cycle is, whether it's a week or two weeks or a month, they allocate that. And then you look at it as a team and you see where the most of the currency, what's getting the most... um, money towards it and what isn't and start a conversation because many meetings are just a waste of time. The wrong people, they're not focused on stuff. You do not need meetings to have updates, like make people accountable to read an update before the meeting and use the meeting for the discussion. So right away, if you want to change output, you create more space for people to do the work by eliminating the meetings and holding people accountable for what they do to prepare for the meetings. And too often, nobody does that and they come into the meetings and then it's updates and success theater and all this stuff that isn't (laughs) helpful. So I think, number one, just start there. Look at your meetings because you can already make changes that are going to have an impact that is huge. The second thing is, where do you get your best ideas? I don't know a single person that says behind my desk every day from nine to whatever. It's always in the shower, on a walk, going for a run. And the more we accept, like, let's lean into where we do our best work, how we do our best work and do an experiment for a week where we track like what gets done doing it that way versus another way you can start to make shifts. But It's not an argument. It's having to change the skill set of the managers to understand how they lead differently in a different environment because they just have their hammer and they're just hammering the nail. 
I love success theater. I think I'm going to use, I'm going to, I'm going to have to borrow it's that. I'll, I'll, I'll cite you, of course, but that's, it that's, terrible. But, it, but it's, it's terrible, but it happens all the time. Yeah. It happens all the time. And it yeah. actually is a sign of a toxic culture because yeah. the success theater is like this bravado of look at me and what I'm doing. And isn't it amazing? And then the next person that's going to present is like, oh, I better one up it. And there's no discussion of the challenges and what's going on and what the time really should be spent for. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm I'm super bullish personally on the power of async communication. I think we're only scratching the surface uh, on that, and companies that really get that right are going to unlock just just a world of potential. So I'm I'm, I'm definitely you know as they say, watch this space. I'm watching that space very closely because I you think that that is basic. just yeah, yeah, like we just have not you know it's just not we're we're still doing everything as if we we're co-located. I was uh, redoing my website, and my web designer and I were on completely different schedules. However. I needed to give her a bunch of feedback. She needed to ask me questions and going line by line through email was going crazy. So we just would do Loom, real-time videos. And that was so helpful because I could do it when I need it. And like, that's just basic. And there's so much more advanced technology that could help that. Yeah, I want to uh, shift the conversation uh, for a moment to another topic I know you're you're passionate about, which is storytelling. Um, you know, you had a TED talk that's been incredibly well received on the power of stories, you know, over a million views, probably a over to 2 million views now, correct me uh, when I turn this over to you, but the uh, the power of story, I'm, I, I love the TED Talk, I love the your thinking around that, and I think particularly in HR, that is such an underutilized, talked about, discussed, and developed, because it does take development, skill. Um, storytelling is massive, and you, if you look at our roles, we're at the center of so much, whether it's internal communication, policy rollout, um, you know, updates to employee structures, everything. We're at the center of as a communicator and as a communicative organization. Um, but most of us have never really thought about storytelling as a discipline and consciously weaving that into how we think about our work. So I'd love for you to talk just directly to the viewers and listeners, like how can they get better at, at harnessing stories in HR? Yeah. So a couple of things. First, recognize that stories are what shape your culture. The story about the behavior you encourage or discourage is showing what's valued in your organization. It's showing what your great leaders do or what your great teams do. And a great story is going to have far more impact than the values that hang on your wall. It's also the way you persuade. So I mentioned when I was at Deloitte, we were working on changing performance management. Uh, I cut my chops on storytelling and taking that to different leaders there and trying to persuade them and why there was a different way, which felt very scary to them because unfortunately, data doesn't change our behavior. It's emotions that do. And I talk a bit about this in the TED Talk on the neuroscience of decision-making we think that we're making decisions by logic and fact and rationalization, but we're actually making them in our amygdala at an emotional level. And so every time people come to me and they say, I have to present data, there's no room for story, they're wrong. Because when you don't take someone through data, we all fill in the gaps on the data, have our own interpretation, and land in a different spot especially if it's like a chart full of multiple data points. And I think so many of the listening audience have probably sat in meetings, maybe with a voice of employee survey, where the argument in the room starts to be questioning the data. Well, how many people responded? And we don't really care about this. And well, is this really meaningful? Instead of what do we do about it? And that is the power of 
a story is you take people to a common understanding or a common starting point that allows for different types of discussions. And it is just such an important skill, especially in this environment, because you're going to engage more brain, you're going to have more commitment to action, and you're going to just tap into what people really need and, and stop some of this debate and wasted meeting. Um, so first place to start, uh, one, find an opportunity to tell a story. There's this nervousness about it. It feels vulnerable, especially if I'm on a web meeting. All these eyes are looking at me, but you have to plan to do it. It's not a spur of the moment. It's not a let me make it up as we go. Find an opportunity. Then from there, you want to look at who your audience is because a story is intending to do something. It's intending to make an audience want to know, think, feel, say, do something differently. And you have to think about what that is. Stories that seem to ramble and don't make sense are because they haven't really anchored on the audience and the outcome that you're trying to do. And then from there is you find ideas for stories, which that's a whole podcast in itself. You can use personal examples. You can tell a story from someone else. You can um, share something you heard on a podcast. Whatever, whatever you emotionally connect with and excites you should be where you go first. And you want to answer three questions. You want to start for what is the context for this story? What's happening and why should I care as the listener? What is the conflict where something happens and everything changes? What is the outcome of all of that? And what is the takeaway for the listener? And so if you do those things, you identify a story, you define your audience, you answer those questions and write a takeaway with like four sentences, you already have a structure of a story and something to start with and play with. Well, that's great. And I, I really appreciate you breaking down specifically a framework um, for listeners and viewers to be able to implement. So um, I, we, we could talk stories for hours. Maybe we do actually have, a, a, have to have a second podcast just on stories. But I do want to jump into the lightning round to help the uh, listeners and viewers get to know you a little bit better. So let's jump right in. Uh, I'm checking out your Spotify playlist. Who am I going to learn are your top three artists? First one is always Airborne Toxic Event. They are out of California. I've been following them for 10 years. Huge fan, huge fan. Um, second is um, probably Bon Iver. I think I found them through a movie soundtrack and really enjoy the music there, which I think they're also on their 10-year anniversary. And then the third is going to be a Broadway show tunes medley of a whole bunch of different shows that I like because I play the flute and the piccolo and I'm a sucker for a good Broadway musical. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I didn't know you played instruments as well. So yeah. more, uh, re revealing more and more throughout the episode. Um, That's where I saw uh, the circus. I would stand on the marching band field watching the circus in front of me. So, Oh, very good. So did you play, did you play with the marching chiefs? I did. Yeah. Oh, During the national championship cool. and everything. Yeah. yeah. I was, I remember, which one, right? I mean, come on. The first gotta, one, the first one, yeah. <laughs> oh, 90, that was the best. Yeah, the was, national uh, champion. Charlie Ward, work done, the yes. whole crew, yeah. yeah. Okay, we could easily, that could be its own episode that we won't even air because you and I will be the I people know. who care about the most about it, but we could do a whole uh, whole yeah. episode of that team. Sorry, listeners. Um, <laughs> your least favorite HR buzzword? Um, PIP, performance mm. improvement plan, yeah. because People like, it's really, let's just get you out of the organization is really what it's code for instead of yeah. how do we really help figure out what isn't working for you and make you better, so. And yeah. it sounds so light and airy, right? Oh, I'm on a pip. I'm on like, a pip, oh, yes. that's not a good thing. No, um, <laughs> like no one's going to go around and share that. That's like such a stigma. It, yeah. Pip, right. Yeah. Uh, okay, what is your favorite HR function? 
So leadership development and talent management, this place of how are you bringing the best out of people? Yep. Uh, if you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? So I actually wrote a blog post on this. I used to think, and probably still do think, the coolest job would be a day in the life. So for one day, you go work in the Crayola factory and see how crayons are made, or you drive the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile to see what that's like, or you drive a Zamboni, and not all of these are driving or manufacturing, but like for a day in the life, you get to go live and tell the story of that job. I just always thought that would be super cool. So you know, now, because I wrote that blog post, I get these letters or emails from people of like, the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck is here if you want to come drive it, which I have not yet, but you know, So strangely enough, I, I know two people who drove the Oscar Mayer Wiener bus after college, two people, random. But also my first podcast I had was called The Best Part of My Job. And I interviewed people in a range of different careers to find out what was it like to do that job. So from like a Hollywood producer to a shark marine biologist it's so to um, the guy who played Chunk in the Goonies. Like it was, it was interesting. But I, I share that fascination. Yeah. It's He's just like so, a trainer now I've seen. Uh, well, no, that, that guy's, uh, he's like one of the leading attorneys uh, in entertainment out in L.A. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, also fit. So yes, definitely, yes. definitely not Chuck anymore. Yeah, very, very fit. But yeah, he's uh, he's a power power attorney now. So it's, 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 it's it, but I share that. It's just so interesting. I love hearing the stories behind what people do and, and, and how they work. And it's just, it's fast. Maybe it's, you know, as a recruiter coming up, you know, I'd always get to know people in different backgrounds, but like just hearing their stories is, is so uh um, it's just so fascinating. That's, um, I think, exactly what I liked about it. Plus, if you're driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, you're not having a bad day unless maybe you have to parallel park it because, like, everyone's waving at you and honking and, like, it's such joy. So I just think that would be pretty entertaining. Someday, yeah, I, I, maybe. I think so, too. Um, and the last question for you, Karen, uh, who is one HR leader who you admire and why? So there is a head of global people analytics at PayPal. Her name is Serena Wong. She started there a couple months ago, but I've known her throughout her career. She is this really talented woman in this space of workforce analytics, but also just making data informed decisions and, and using storytelling and data. And I love that what she's putting out there and love that more people are getting exposure to her. And I always look to see what she's talking about around people and talent because it's just always interesting. And in this place, of in this intersection of performance and wellness and uh, helping companies and people be better. Well, Karen, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was so good to catch up. I appreciate you making time to uh, help me and the viewers and listeners better understand your background, but also give some real practical takeaways around storytelling uh, and thinking about performance leadership development. So thanks so much for uh, sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.